Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. With how familiar um, the Christmas story is, right? We bring it out not just at this time of year, but several times in the year, that this uh, powerful story of the Annunciation of the Angel to Mary. Um, with how familiar it is, we can forget how wild this announcement must have been to the ears of a low-income teenager in rural Judea. I mean, just try and imagine for a second. Imagine that you just saw an angel, maybe on your way to church this morning, if you were at a stoplight and an angel just showed up. Right? I mean, we're already in the land of, whoa! <laughs> Rightly, would Mary be afraid, right? That would be crazy enough. But then imagine that the angel greets you, looks you in the eye and greets you by name. You know, famously, right? Hail Mary, greetings, Mary. And then imagine that the angel starts telling you about your future and that you're going to bear this miraculous child who's going to inherit all of the promises of David. And then imagine that the angel... Um, oh, actually, you can sort of imagine, you know, um, when, we try and, when we read through this passage in Luke, um, the angel doesn't say at first that you're going to conceive this child sort of supernaturally, right? It just says you're going to have this child. And inevitably, she might have thought, oh, okay, when I get married to Joseph, I guess we'll have that child. Um, but in this sort of confusion of, okay, he's going to be the king of the universe and his kingdom's never going to end, you can see her sort of almost just stumbling back on like, but wait, how can this be? Like, I'm not even married yet. I'm still a virgin. Like, why are you telling me all this? There's this sense of being overwhelmed. And, and now imagine, imagine an angel said this to you. Try and imagine what it would be like to hear these words. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. <laughs> this is some crazy news that Mary receives. I kind of imagine, you know, the angel, it says the angel left, right, at the end of the passage. I can imagine just Mary processing it, like how she was even formulating this to herself, let alone to like how she might try and tell Joseph or others. So I mean, just imagine her trying to explain this to Elizabeth, you know, as she's playing it through in her head as she's walking to her cousin. An angel came uh, and told me that uh, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow me and I'm going to bear the Son of God. I guess God is Trinity. I mean, this is the first revelation, really, that God exists in three persons. I mean, like every category is getting blown open in this announcement. It's a wild announcement, but it was also true, right? And Mary believed that it was true. She had great faith, as demonstrated in her response that ends the passage. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. Like, no matter how crazy this sounds, okay, as you said, let it be. She took in the angel's annunciation, and she prayed to God, that even before I understand, I submit to your word, I submit to your will. And I think this faith, I mean, this is one of the reasons why Mary is held up as sort of like just the, one of the most exemplary of saints. Because here she is cold like we, where we sit now, and all the saints in the last 2,000 years, we have the benefit of sort of hindsight, of seeing God work in three persons in this church and doing wonderful things. Mary was kind of coming at this cold. She's the first person to sort of get this Christian revelation of Jesus becoming, the Son of God becoming 
man, uh, and she responds, she's the first one to respond with faith. And in a way, um, it's because of her faith, because she said, yes, God, that the incarnation took place. This was God's will, but he actually asked, he actually invited human cooperation. He actually, he wasn't just going to barge in and save the world without asking us, right? As he did then, even now, right? He doesn't just come in and th- I mean, manhandle our lives or the lives of those who we care and pray for just against their will. He actually is always asking and inviting our will. As it says in Revelation, he stands at the door and knocks, which is a very different figure than just he barges in because he's God, right? God's saving work depends on a human yes to invite him in. And uh, so, yeah, as I said, the incarnation, in a way, it happened because of faith, faith, not just faith in the abstract, but but Mary's faith in particular. It would have taken awesome faith to believe, uh, and it would have taken great faith to tell this word before it came true to Elizabeth and to Joseph. And later on, I mean, how does Luke, the gospel writer, find out about this story? He must have heard it from Mary in some way. Faith to tell the story. And you can imagine how incredulous some people might have been when she told this story. We actually kind of catch wind of disbelief around Mary's story, even in Jesus' day. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, the crowd is sort of disgruntled with something Jesus has said, and they said, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Kind of hinting that there's some sort of like bad sort of gossip around his origins. Like, okay, yeah, we've heard some stories about that. And there was incredulity. And why wouldn't there be, right? I mean, Mary could never prove, like, scientifically that this had happened, that this is how Jesus was conceived. Jesus himself didn't have some sign above his head saying, you know, I I was born of a virgin. These are things received, like the rest of the Christian teaching, on faith, then as now. Unbelieving minds, then as now, uh, in their disbelief, led to gross carnal conclusions. They couldn't receive such a miraculous story. But no matter how incredulous it might seem, it doesn't alter the fact that it really did happen, right? That's sort of the wonder of so much of the Christian news. It sounds crazy, and it really happened, then as now. And this actually brings me to what I really want to communicate this morning, is not just to sort of tease out what happened 2,000 years ago, um, but is to sort of connecting the dots that in so many ways we're in such a similar situation to Mary, Our story, as Christians, is true, and it's crazy sounding, but that doesn't alter the fact that it's real, and and that we should respond just like Mary did. So let me kind of try and tease out some of those connections. So the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, right? And when we came to God in faith and in baptism, we received the Holy Spirit of God. We were overshadowed by the power of God. In the scriptures, Jesus is sometimes called the image of God, The image of God was placed inside Mary physically and it grew and grew until he was fully formed and born into the world on Christmas Day, right? We're going to celebrate tonight and tomorrow. What happened to Mary in in her body, it happens to us in the spirit. There's a real close analogy there. The image of God is given to us in baptism and it's our responsibility to sort of nurture the growing up of Christ in us. And this isn't me picking a slightly awkward metaphor. (laughs) This is the scriptures that make these very connections. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 says, I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Like he's actually kind of playing off these sort of growing in the womb metaphors for the Christian life. 
until Christ is formed in you. He, he does it again in Ephesians. Again, chapter 4. He, he prays that um, everyone that he's writing to would attain to the full knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's this idea of Christ growing up within the life of each Christian. Just like, in, in a very kind of connected way, the child Christ grew up in the womb of Mary. And what's um, really crazy is that these are not just sort of um, pictures for the unseen spiritual things. Uh, God actually still is using the material world to accomplish this growth of Christ in us. Tonight we're going to, you know, in just, you know, how many hours here? Nine hours. We're going to gather to celebrate Christmas, right? The, the Christmas Eucharist. Where we believe in faith, in the unseen places, what Jesus said, that the bread, as he said when he instituted the Lord's Supper, that the bread is his body and that the wine is his blood. Which means, in the same way, you can kind of see the connection. Mary had the body of Christ within her in this sort of natural way. We get to have the real body of Christ in us in a spiritual way. There's a connection here in bringing Christ in the flesh into our life through the sacrament. The actual risen body of Jesus comes to dwell in us through the Holy Communion. And there's sort of a connection here between sort of um, the way we see a child grow in a mother's womb. Um, the Spirit of Christ is planted in us when we're baptized, and it's strengthened and nurtured in us when we receive the grace through the means of grace that God's given us. And there are many, right? Prayer, study of the Word and fellowship, but chief of all is Holy Communion. So the image of Christ actually gets sort of grown up more fully, gets given spiritual sustenance to be more fully formed in us when we come to the sacred meal. And you think, if what I'm saying is true, and I believe before God and the scriptures that it is, um, this is really crazy. I mean, imagine some non-Christian walked in right now and heard me saying this, like, God is going to feed you through bread and wine. I mean, it's, it's really wild. It's familiar, but it's wild. And I think it says people, it, the world would rightly be as incredulous about the Christian claim as they were about Mary's claim that God himself had given her this child. But Mary believed because she had it told her by God. And we believe what we believe about all the Christian claims, but including sort of what we really come to receive in Holy Communion. We believe it also because God has told it to us, not through an angel, but we've had our annunciation in sacred scripture. The words of Jesus recorded for us by St. John, chapter 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, meaning him and the Father, will come to him and make our home with him. Like a picture of indwelling. And in, John, in chapter 6. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And here he says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And by that he means it really is strengthening us in our spiritual man, in our inner person. It is really fully forming more of Christ in us. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, here it is, chapter, verse 56, abides in me and I in him. Like so much, when you read the New Testament, so much of the language is this language of indwelling. Just like baby Jesus was in the belly of Mary. Jesus actually desires to indwell our lives 
Not obviously half of us in the world are not women. Not, and not physically indwelled, but spiritually, but which is real. That's not just a fable. Spiritually indwell us. We've been told from the Word of God that our sort of regular, ordinary human lives, like we all you know, live in a house or an apartment and work and eat food, like outwardly our lives just look very normal and mundane. We've been told that these mundane lives can actually be indwelt with God himself and be lifted up into his divine life. The question then, having been told that, just like with the angel with Mary, is will we respond in faith like Mary did? In the face of these wild claims that things are much more than they appear, that bread is much more than bread, that a human life is much more than a human life, will we say, okay, I'm God's servant, I'm going to listen to the Master, be it unto me according to your word. In your word you've said that you've come to make your home with us, let it be to me according to your word. Do you see how that that sort of affirmation that trusting God's word actually invites the reality in? That the sacraments aren't magic, we actually have to receive what God is giving us. In your word you've said that you've caused us to be born again of water and the Spirit, and that in invisible places we are a part of a new cosmos, a new creation. Let it be to me according to your word. In your word you've told us that you will feed us with your own flesh and blood. Let it be to me according to your word. In your word you've said that we should come to your table with faith, with repentance, and that we're not worthy of anything, but that you invite us into your presence anyways. Okay, let it be to me according to your word. You've promised that through faith in you and through the means of grace, you are making us into radiant Christ-bearers like Mary. That was a title that some of the early Christians took for themselves. Christ-bearers. Intentionally, again, picking up on this language of how Mary brought forth Christ in a natural way. To say that as Christians, we bring forth Christ into the world through our faith and through our lives. Even though we are often slowing the progress and stumbling, and even though the world will always scoff at our claims, um, we know that God is preparing us now for eternal life with him, in him. So I encourage you, um, as you continue to approach the mysteries of faith, approach God in your prayers, approach the wild claims of Christmas again, every year we come into them, to say, okay, let it be to me according to your word. Let Mary's phrase be on your lips as we come to communion tonight. Amen.